Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into the Seminole Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Pellerin. Back with the full crew this week after two weeks apart. John Marchand, Juan Montalvo here. A full reunited group. Boy, it feels good, huh, guys? What's up with that? Well, hopefully you're coming up out of your Thanksgiving turkey fog as we chase down the final weeks of 2021. Unfortunately for the Seminoles football team, uh, their year already complete. Don't know if we're calling it the whiff game or not. Yikes. Uh, certainly not the play uh, that we really want to see there, but it's definitely the one it'll be remembered for if this game's really remembered at all. I mean, five and six, five and six. But nevertheless, Florida manages to never trail, takes care of Florida State 24-21 in Gainesville. Knowles denied a chance at that bowl game and some pretty important extra practices as it's the Gators who will go bowling and it'll probably be a pretty meaningless one for them anyway. Their big move this week was grabbing the first coach off the coaching carousel to a decent amount of fanfare, but they've since been seemingly trumped by LSU and USC making their hires. We'll get to all that in a bit, but we start with that loss in Gainesville. It included a pretty gutty performance from Jordan Travis. Continued to blossom as the season went along and a a very eye-popping 18 tackles from Jamie Robinson, which maybe isn't the best thing in the world from a DV, but, uh, I guess the most important part is that the team did the Mike Norvell mantra of just keep climbing, you know, they, they fell behind and, you know, John, I know we, you and I talked about the possibility of, of this maybe where Florida state can get ahead and, and put UF behind. And it was UF who jumped out front and managed to keep them away, but you have to appreciate the effort to keep fighting, keep pushing until the very end, not just on this game, but on the whole season. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think UF firing Dan Mullen during the week uh, really had a negative effect for Florida State on this game. Uh, I thought that – because we saw it with Odell Higgins whenever um, he was an interim coach for Florida State a few years ago. Players, I don't know why it is, but they always fight harder for the interim guy. Uh, so that's what I was worried about. Um, I think we kind of all knew that Florida was still a much more talented team than Florida State. Uh, yeah. So you're kind of hoping that maybe they'd quit. Maybe, maybe Florida state does what they did against Boston college. You jump out to a quick uh, early multi-score lead and hopefully UF quits, but that's, that's not what happened. Um, obviously. So UF gets the first points on the board and then uh, they just, they got, you know, they were in the game. The players were in the game. They played hard and it was uh, unfortunately it looked like Florida state was the team that, that didn't quite show up. Uh, until later on so it's disappointing the game obviously leaves a uh, pretty bitter taste in your mouth Uh, I said before the game it would have been one of my favorite wins of all time if Florida State could have pulled this off Uh, but you know it's not that big of a deal Um, it it hurts but in the grand scheme of things I don't think it really means that much the season was still a success in my opinion and uh, I'm excited to see what they do next year yeah John I'm I'm gonna disagree with you on one thing here I mean you know, you, 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 you did say that it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I agree there, but uh, it's never not a big deal to lose to Florida. I mean, and I know that you didn't intend it that way, but I mean, I think 
it goes without saying that, you know, Florida is your biggest rival. Um, you know, Miami realistically has been behind for quite a while now. And even with their supposed renewed commitment to football will likely remain behind for a while, but Florida is your biggest rival um, for them to get a win here, to get a bowl uh, and, and really to come in and lead the game and didn't really look like you had a chance of winning for most of the game. I mean, that's really frustrating, especially with the, with the way that the season went, because, you know, you saw a lot of, a lot of progress throughout the season. And, you know, like you always say, you know, progress isn't linear and, you know, they clearly didn't have their best game for state that is. And Florida did a really good job of knocking Florida state, I think out of its normal game in a couple ways. I'll get into that in a moment, but I think, no matter how we got to the end result, the end result stinks. I mean, you know, losing to Florida always hurts. Um, even if they're without a coach, you know, it's never a good thing for recruiting. You know, the last game does get remembered. It's not as big a factor for 2022 kids. You're going to be signing in two weeks anyway, but you're going into the early signing day and Billy Napier says, look, they went and beat Florida state without me. Look at, look at what we'll be able to do when we bring you in, you know, that sort of thing. So yes, it's, not a huge deal in the sense that Florida State di- did improve throughout the season. So the one thing I really want to point out about the game is, and, and like I noted, that they got Florida State out of what they wanted to do. Florida State's been composed really well this whole season. You know, there's been times that they've both been up and been threatened and been down and made comebacks. And this game, they weren't able to – they sort of got off their game early in the game because Florida just got chippy. I mean, before the game started, you obviously saw them broadcast. They ran to, you know, the, the Florida players ran to Florida state sidelines as the Florida state players, you know, ran out to the sideline. And so from that moment, you know, this game is always a little bit chippy, but it had a little bit more flavor than normal. And I think, you know, being an interim coach without real ramifications, it's not a bad strategy to just sort of try to get under the other team's skin. And they really were able to, I mean, I think you could see it from, from the early, early minutes of the game that Florida State just sort of looked at of sorts. I mean, Amari and Cooper threw a punch that, you know, was not unprovoked, but that's the whole point. They did enough to provoke Florida State to get someone like an Amari and Cooper to throw a punch. Um, I mean, that's probably the most notable example he probably should have been thrown out of the game. He, he was fortunate not yeah. to be, frankly. Um, but it was it was an example of of a Florida team that really acted like Gators, uh, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, they just sort of, you know, were 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 rude and 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 uh, a lot of words that I don't uh, that I can't use because of the uh, explicit tag here on 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 the iTunes and all those things, but. They, they really did, you know, throw Florida State off their game. They were not composed. Um, I mean, you had some – Dylan Gibbons had probably his worst penalty game of the year, I believe. Um, you had several personal fouls. I don't know how many times the referees called personal fouls throughout the game. I mean, it was like personal foul. Per, and then it was like, oh, offsetting personal foul, like every other play. Uh, there was a stretch. I mean, the Florida State's final drive to get back to 24-21. Um I think there were four penalties that totaled something like 40 to 60 yards. It was, it was nuts. I mean, it was just ridiculous how uncomposed both teams were. And I think where Florida state is right now is not as talented at roster as Florida. Uh, 
and we'll talk about that for moving forward. I mean, I think Florida is going to drop a lot off of their roster of what they had this past Saturday. But as of this past Saturday, Florida did have a considerably better roster than Florida State. And the lack of composure in that game favored a team like Florida that has a little bit more talent. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, despite despite Florida State's deficiencies on the roster, they were able to really – towards the the middle and end of the year show the ability to play well as a team, stick to your game plan and, and, and execute what you're good at to really find that success. And I think what we saw in the games against those more talented teams, I mean, now that the, the regular season is finished and you can kind of look through and see which were the more talented teams, the, the Notre Dames, who, I mean, they played well against, but Wake Forest, Louisville, Clemson, NC State, where those were the games where they, they really struggled the most. And that's just where, when you look at it as a, as a full roster standpoint, it's where that deficiency is going to show up. Um, I was kind of surprised Florida was able to, to bully them so much uh, down the stretch on the run game. Um, I mean, Pierce, on, on, was it, I think when he popped his helmet off and dove in, that was kind of chaotic to see. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this is a scenario where you, where you looked at Florida State's team and you felt like you had a chance going in and to your point it never felt like actually during the game they did have that chance it felt like from the beginning they were just playing the keep me in it keep me in it keep me in it game and by the end they just they just really ran out of time to do it obviously the the whiffed onside kick or or, you know maybe maybe you're someone out there who says you've got a, a Zapruder film that shows he didn't actually touch it but even their odds of recovering it, what are we talking? You got to recover it and you've got to go 20 yards. And, and, and it's still a very minute chance to actually make that happen. But I, I didn't, I mean, you, you had the, the, the Tate Rodemaker appearance and the Mackenzie Milton appearance. And so, I mean, I don't think even any of that would have been in the pregame plan for what it worked. So to your point, yeah. And I think you just looked around and you saw the, the receiving core not being able to fight for some of the like uh, the interception down the sideline where it just looked like the Florida State receiver just or the Florida State DB just Florida DB put the Florida State receiver on his back and it was just there was just one guy who was just better at getting to the ball. I don't know. I, I thought they played a fine game and this just wasn't a scenario on the road where a, a fine game was going to be enough to win. Yeah, I uh to you guys' point, um, Florida definitely looked like the bigger, obviously more physical, faster team. Uh, it just kind of showed how far the staff still has to go to build this roster to where it needs to be. Um, but at the same time, you got to give credit to the staff uh, yeah. about how they've coached and developed these kids to try to maximize uh, their potential. And uh, I mean – uh, Pokey Wilson had the greatest catch of his Florida State career. That was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, still can't believe that that happened. Um, <laughs> you know, and then he muffed the punt, but it's a story of this team in a nutshell, I think, a little bit. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I was disappointed about how they played. I expected them to play better, especially considering how they played against Miami and Boston College. Um, it was pretty frustrating and annoying how Florida intentionally devolved the game into a bully fest. Uh, And yeah, it was definitely disappointing that Florida state did not handle that 
adversity well. Uh, so while they're still learning how to win, uh, there's obviously some mental toughness there that they still have to uh, have to go through. But look, I mean, if your players are just as big or even bigger and faster than the other guys, it's a little bit easier to not care about that kind of stuff because you can go out. Remember like Florida State and Miami uh, many years ago, uh, when Kelvin Benjamin, remember, blew up that one Miami defender and James Wilder Jr. just explodes in the end zone, just asserting your your will over your opponent. This Florida State team with the talent they have is just not really capable of responding in that particular way to the uh, antics and taunts that, that Florida was intentionally um, playing around with. So it was pretty annoying. It was pretty frustrating. Uh, and yeah, I mean, one's point I think is a great one. This is, yeah. Eh. I hate Florida. I mean, who, who doesn't hate the Gators? Uh, but you know what? No, no, but I hate the Gators and it was really frustrating, <laughs> but <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I mean, what else is there to say? Um, uh, oof. all you can do is move on and learn from it, right? Like they've done this whole season is learn from it and get better and mark your calendar for next season and beat the crap out of them. Yeah. And I, and I don't, and I think to what your point was there, I mean, what else can you really say? I mean, obviously the loss hurts and I'm sure some in the fan base will, will continue to point back at the schedule and say, well, if you just make one tackle against Jacksonville state, we're six and six and we're going to a bowl game. And like we talked about last week, and I think Juan, you and I said this with, with Tommy a couple of weeks ago, but that, you know, we're talking about a butterfly effect where the, where the whole world changes if you let one thing happen. We, we can't just say that just they make that one tackle, the world continues going around like it had. I, I think you do, to some effect, need that type of, of kick in the ass to, to, to pick your head up and, and realize like, hey, so what? You were close. You know, I, I think the extra practices obviously would have been huge for uh, Mike Norvell in a, in a year, I guess what we've been calling this year is as a year zero for him to get an extra, I don't know, maybe two, two and a half weeks of practice, whatever it is, um, and, and an extra game under their belt. It would, it would have been very nice. Um, but, it, it, you know, it didn't come together. It's just, it's just the nature of what it is. Uh, I don't think long-term it'll have that much of a detrimental effect on, on where the direction of the program is headed. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, five and seven, that's what a lot of our staff predictions were looking at uh, at the beginning of the year was, was five to six wins if they're lucky. And I, and they hit that despite a disastrous start. And John, I saw you nodding, but I think if I'd have told you five wins and you feel pretty confident in your quarterback position heading into 2022, you'd, you'd have been, you'd have been thrilled with that season resolved. Oh, of course. Uh, I, I didn't go back and look at my actual preseason prediction, but I'm 99% sure it was five and seven with an outside shot and hope at six wins. And that's exactly where they, they ended up. Uh, so yeah, I'm a little disappointed, honestly, because I did hope for six and, and it was there. Uh, but things happen for a reason, I, I guess. Um, I, I think I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself, but because of the season and the Jacksonville State game and how they responded and rallied around it and definitely improved, I do think, though, you have to win. You have to go to a bowl game next year. Um, you have to win six games. That's going to be my expectation. You could say, I think what I wrote in the roundtable article the other day was uh, my expectation is going to be seven. 
but I do think that six is much more likely likelier than eight. Uh, so that's kind of where my head's at is I'm kind of going to flip it a little bit uh, where I said this year seven, I hope for six, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say seven wins and, and hope for six um, at minimum. But so I think that's a fair expectation. I, I do have some concerns about replacing the talent, the defensive line. You're not going to get two guys like Jermaine Johnson and Kier Thomas, but that doesn't mean that you can't replace their production. If you improve a lot of the talent around them, especially the guys behind them. Uh, linebacker, um, but also even the secondary. I mean, you've, if Fuller likes to be aggressive, right? So if you're blitzing uh, linebackers and, and uh, defensive backs, you can make up for, for that loss of the sack production up front. So there's not just one way to do it. Um, but I'm really excited for the, for the future of the program. They, I got out of the season what I wanted, even though I was disappointed about how it ended. And uh, so that's kind of what I was looking for. Juan, before you take off, I do just want to John's point preseason. I think this is a six or seven win team with limited depth saddled with the 12th toughest team in the schedule. So uh, this on the schedule in the country. So I will go with five or six wins. I will hope all season for six and six in a bowl game. It's doable. They just need to have a bit of luck. John three months ago with the hammer on the nail. Wasn't too bad. Well Thank you. Well done. <laughs> Take it, Juan. It's yours. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just sort of of 10,000-foot view of the season, I think what John's saying overall is correct. I mean, you know, going back to what 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 we've been – what John's been saying all season, I'm not going to steal his quote, but, you know, progress isn't <laughs> Go linear. Go for it. Yeah, uh, progress isn't linear. Um, and we've seen progress throughout the season. So, I mean, you know, if you if if you think of of the season as a scatter plot, and this is a really bad radio visual, but I mean, think of it as a scatter plot. The trend line's good. You know, you may have a bad dot at the bottom there, but the trend line is good, and it doesn't drag down the trend line that much. Um, you know, they had they had a lot of good in that game. I mean, you know, we we you know obviously you're talking more about the ten thousand foot view, but you know if you go back to that football game and you have Jordan Travis for those three drives where Emory Jones has thrown a pick you might score some points um, yeah. at the end of the half. If you're a little bit more confident in your kicker, you probably instruct them to, to, you know, down the ball or call the timeout and go for the kick, but you don't have the kicker. Um, so you didn't have the quarterback when you needed it. You didn't have the kicker. You had some issues with receiver. Um, you got beat in the past game a little bit with your linebackers until you were able to adjust with Anthony Richardson. Um and, you know, I mean, you, you did a good job stopping, you know, the kid they thought was the future of Florida football and Anthony Richardson, who looked good against Georgia for bit marks. Um, once you realized, okay, you can stop the scrambling lanes and he can't throw the ball, Florida State did just fine against Anthony Richardson. So, I mean, you have a staff that's shown progress, not just throughout the season, but even throughout the Florida game. I mean, but didn't have the players to execute it at the highest level to beat the teams they wanted to beat the team, the team, the team they needed to beat to achieve their goals. So, you know, John was spot on with his prediction three months ago. And I think if you go back and you listen to our first episode of the year and you look at the deficiencies we talked about receiver uh, linebackers, uh, offensive line depth, you're going to see those same things popping up all year long and, those are going to be the issues in most of the games when you and quarterback depth for that matter. Uh, we didn't think that was going to be as big an issue, I suppose, but you know, uh, 
Mackenzie Milton, we thought would only be good if he was closer to 100%, and it seems he was never really there. So, you know, you you saw the same issues all season, and all they can do at this point is address it. So, I mean, 15 more practices certainly would have been a good thing. Um, but at the yep. same time, you know, Mike, Mike Norvell said it at 6 a.m. Sunday after the game. They were on a plane. They were on a plane. They went out recruiting. Mm-hmm. And that's what they – that's the only way that this team is going to get better. You're bringing in the bodies to fill those holes. To f- You're not going to get a kid who's as good as Jermaine Johnson for next year, realistically. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to get a kid who's going to be just as good as Kieran Thomas. But if you can bring in two or three kids who are solid depth players and you can have one or two guys elevate their game, then you can replace the production. It won't be quite as potent on an individual player basis, but like you said, you don't necessarily need that individual player. You need the aggregate roster to improve. And that's what we talked about all year. I mean, they have a, a lot of holes in the roster. You're going to address that both through recruiting in the portal. Um, I think a lot of this coaching turnover that you're seeing is going to favor Florida State. Um, obviously, your your direct rivals now, you know, Florida has a brand new head coach, so they're in a transition class. Miami just fired their athletic director. Maybe firing Manny Diaz, we don't know yet. More than likely going to. They just lost their offensive coordinator to SMU. And Clemson, it, 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 we're recording this at about 10 o'clock on, on the 29th. And as of this moment in the coaching carousel, it appears that Brent Venables is going to be going to Oklahoma. Don't know that for sure. Uh, in another five minutes, another five coaching hires, he may be. But basically, long story short, there's a lot of coaching turnover in the Southeast and among your direct rivals, and that really favors the most stable team. And it appears that right now, Florida State's the most stable team, and that's what you need to improve the roster, improve the talent you have on the roster, and achieve those goals. Yeah, and, and I think to what you just you said originally about the season, you know, we talked about beforehand about the offensive line depth and linebackers not being where they should, where, where you really need them to be, and and the receivers, that stuff's just not going to just get better uh, as the season goes along. It's just yeah. it's not going to overnight change, you know. And, and I think when we like like you mentioned, it takes one guy to get stepped on, uh, an ankle stepped on on the offensive line, and then you've got a giant problem. Uh, I, I don't. I think the offensive line ended up doing a, a solid job altogether. I mean, you saw the obvious deficiencies at receiver, and then obviously linebacker was what it was. But, you know, when you look at the team as a whole, as you mentioned, it's the time that, it, sure, it's not going to end up in the practice field, but if, the, if it ends up in some kid's living room who ends up being a three-, four-year starter at linebacker or, a, a, a you know, a solid defensive end, maybe only a pass rush specialist as a freshman or whatever, then that – this time can still be used plenty efficiently before the early signing day period to really bolster a roster and help you for 2022. They've only got um, a few days at this point, you know, they've got, they need to be, yeah. I don't, I don't want their butt in a chair, you know, I mean, unless it's in a living room of a kid or, or with a kid in the Moore center. I mean, they are, I think they're going to close with a pretty solid 2022 class. You know, it's not going to yeah. be, to a top 10. It might be what they get the last couple of guys they're looking at. It might be, uh, it, it could edge into top 10 and we'll get into recruiting in the next couple of weeks, but um, you know, it, it, it could end up up in the top 10, but you know, it's, it's going to be a class that improves the roster and that's just what they need to continue to do. And like we, like we talked about on previous episodes and John and I have spoken about, you know, off the air at length, this roster has a long way to go and one class won't fix it. It's just, it's going to take time. I'm afraid. 
Right. And going back to, I mean, the Florida game and the autopsy over, over this Florida state team, I, th- I felt like I took that kind of big picture look at this game right when we first started talking about it tonight, because I didn't really learn anything about this team. And like you guys have kind of touched on this, they had such a low margin for error, especially against the teams that they were more ta- uh, less talented than because and they beat some teams this year that that were more talented than them um, or better teams than them. And they did it a couple of times. Um, but like you guys had said, whenever there's just their margin for error was so low, you know, when Travis yeah. goes down, you have no chance, none to beat a lot of even the teams that are close to you in, in talent. Um, he's easily Florida State's most valuable player. I think Jermaine Johnson was their best player, but Travis is their most valuable and then for it to happen where you lose the whole benefit of Florida turning the ball over three times, it's, it's just killer. And uh, yeah. so I, I, that's why I felt I didn't really feel like I learned anything about this team. And that's, we don't need to, right? It's the last game of the season. Um, so I'm still proud of this team. I'm proud of the way they fought. You know, they were an 18-point underdog in North Carolina. They beat them. Uh, they still only lost by one score to, to Florida on the road. Um I mean, I know Brett uh, had a great article on Tomahawk Nation. They talked about the point differential between last season and this season. Uh, so the progress is there. But to your guys' point, the only way to get better is, is recruiting. Uh, These same group of players aren't going to get you a, a bowl game or a better result. And they might get you a bowl game. You know what I'm saying? But they're not going to go immediately to 10 wins. You're going to have to get blue chip talent on this roster. And hopefully uh, Norvell and his staff can, can do that, especially with all the coaching turnover that we're, we're seeing right now. Yeah. And I think even if we don't see, well, you know, one thing I mentioned a little bit ago was, you know, stability is, is a very good thing to have with all this turnover. And we'll get into the specifics of all the turnover, <laughs> which has changed a lot just in the last three hours. But um, this staff has done an excellent job this year overall, um, you know, we can talk about, okay, do we need to replace John Papuchas from his, his defense or his uh, special teams role? We certainly don't need to replace him as a defensive ends coach. I mean, he just put out a Jermaine Jones and Keir Thomas year that was phenomenal. The best defensive end tandem that Florida State's had since Brandon, Brandon Jenkins and Bjorn Warner. Um, so, I mean, in that sense, he's an excellent coach. But special teams did seem to not be as good throughout the year, uh, you know, there's a few spots where you can say, okay, there may be some official things that uh, that can be can be can be changed as far as coaches go. But widely speaking, I would say this Florida State coaching staff did a good job showing progress throughout the year uh, with, like, like we said, you know, a limited roster. That's actually one thing I often forget too. It's it's not just players and player development. But it's also coach de- coaching development because, I, I mean, I've criticized both uh, coordinators this this season, um, maybe a bit unfairly. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm still not like uh, – I don't think they're elite guys, but they definitely improved. And I think that they've done a really good job this season. To your point, I'm just uh, – you know, I want to give them more of a chance. I like some of the things they do. I like some of the different things that, that Dillingham brought this year. I think for Fuller, he gets way too much hate. Um to be honest, I think the jury's still out because he doesn't have any of the talent that he needs to coach a scheme the way that he wants to coach it. Um, so I kind of giving him a pass. 
you know, from the secondary, but, um, you know, and, and maybe, maybe we see Norvell move on from some position coaches, like what you talked about, maybe, maybe Dugan's a receiver or something. I don't know. And, you know, again, at the same time, Florida State probably had the worst receiving talent in the ACC. So there's a lot there that Norvell's going to have to evaluate and decide uh, who he may want to keep or move on from. Um, but the bottom line is you need the players. If you don't have the players that coaching can only do so much. So, so, you know, at the beginning of the day, the, we're not going to go straight into the coaching carousel, but um, at the beginning of the day, the USC job was open. The Oklahoma or the, no, the LSU job was open. Um, I think, or sorry, at the beginning of Sunday, <laughs> Uh, the, 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 the USC, Florida and LSU jobs were all open. Um, you know, three top 10 programs. Um, there's been a lot of changes today and yesterday. So where do y'all think Mike Norvell is coaching next year? (laughs) Don't put that evil on us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I, what I will say is, is, and, and I don't want to just spark some speculation, but if you are a Florida State fan and want to and want to play the game, he is a quality young coach, and if somebody, as this carousel has already proven, who is a big program needs a coach, I, I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if someone gave him a call. Um, I don't think he's leaving. I, I think Florida State would would line up everything where you're at. But you know, I, I I think you have a good enough coach where someone would give a call, which is different than what I would have said two years ago. Bingo. That's what I was getting. Which at. is I which is a win have, for you, right? I mean, I think I think you have someone that you know you're not going to see, for example, uh, USC take a swing at Mike Norvell at this point. You know, they're probably the biggest open job out there. No offense, Brian. Um, but, you know, USC is, you know, a top three job, in my opinion. You know, you, I'd put that, that job's up there. It's probably for me at this point, you know, USC, I don't know if Notre Dame is there anymore, but, you know, Notre Dame, uh, uh, Oklahoma State, or Oklahoma State, sorry, Ohio State, <laughs> uh, um, you know, I'm think, trying to think of the best job. It's supposed time. to be Texas, but. I, but is Texas the best job when they're in the FCC? I mean. That's no, I'm saying no. it's supposed to be for the last 30 years, but just they're not. Yeah. So, I mean, I, at this point, you know, Mike Norvell is not going to be take, taking another top 10 job. The only one that may open up that may even give a call may maybe would be, I would say, Auburn. I mean, they're, they're, they may be sitting, sitting not pretty, but ugly as this coaching carousel ends, but why don't we jump into it? I mean, just because yeah, honestly, for sure. Across my screen well, as we discuss this, we're then, talking about over a hundred million dollars for Brian Kelly. Yeah, well, I mean, look, and, and I know this is an LSU one. So before we get get to that point, you know, to to set the full stage, you, you like you said, you enter Sunday, and it's LSU and USC who both fired their coaches in October. It's um, Florida, last Florida week. who moved on from Florida who moved on from Mullen from last week. You had Virginia Tech, obviously, was open. And it seemed like we were all sitting around waiting to see which, what hire USC and LSU were going to make. Um, everything that I've heard from, from LSU was they were going to play this close to the vest. Don't believe anything you see. If you follow my Twitter, you saw that I got drunk and believed everything um, <laughs> that was on the internet, including a fake Brett McMurphy account. But that didn't go out on the internet. That only went out to my family and friends. Uh, it's a holiday weekend. you got to be drunk. 
But, uh, you know, I, it seemed pretty clear that from an outsider's perspective at this point, both USC and LSU had a, a good feeling that they had a Lincoln Riley lined up ready to go. And as it turned out, Lincoln Riley, A, had no interest in the SEC, it appears, because he supposedly wanted out of Oklahoma because he never wanted Oklahoma to go to the SEC as it was. And B, though USC is a private university, if you're to believe uh, this guy Robert Hefner on Twitter from Sooner Insiders Report, uh, they, all, they gave him $110 million. They're buying both of his homes in Norman for 500000 over asking price. So that's a million-dollar bonus on top of whatever he's selling both of his houses for. A $6 million home in L.A., an unlimited use of the 24th of the family of the private jet, USC's private jet, for the Riley family around California and wherever he so much as feels to go. Now, if that, if that report is real, uh, yeah, I'm taking that money, too. Uh, which then obviously leaves LSU in this scenario where they just absolutely dropped the bag on, on Brian Kelly. Um, man, I, John, I'm going to put it to you, man. I, it's yeah. I, I'll put it to John first, because obviously I'm just going to run with this where I want to go, but with John, which, which of this, this the whole Napier hire at Florida, Lincoln Riley to USC, Brian Kelly to LSU, the Notre Dame opening, the Oklahoma opening, where, where do you want to take this thing? Uh, Ken, does someone want to hire me? Cause, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Okay. So, uh, all my thoughts, uh, I didn't really know much about Napier. People are saying that he's been an ace recruiter for a long time on a couple different staffs. Um, so I, I, from better minds than, than my own, uh, what I've heard is that he need the coordinators are going to be an important hire for Napier. So I think it might've been a solid yeah. hire, but it's kind of a wait and see. I do think UF might might now uh, over the last like five hours think that maybe they jumped the gun just a little bit. I don't know. Um, with a couple other guys making splash hires, I think Lincoln Riley, that one shocks me because Oklahoma is a good job, but I do think yeah. them moving to the SEC maybe changed the math there a little bit for, for Riley. Uh, but also to Juan's point, I think Riley's upgrading. You go to USC, a better job for a boatload of money, and you have a better path to the playoff because your only your only competition is Oregon for the Pac-12 championship. So why why not do that? Um, I mean, you could win ten or eleven games every year easy. So, and then Brian Kelly to LSU also shocks me. I don't think he's a good fit except he's obviously a very good coach and that's what LSU wants maybe they're thinking that Saban retires soon and that whenever he decides to step away you've already got a high floor program ready to be the next it in the SEC West I have absolutely no idea but I am I am shocked that that Kelly would leave Notre Dame uh I don't know if it makes me think that there's something there that he didn't get or I don't know what the deal is uh, but that one still blows me away. So I th- uh, overall, uh, my, here's my takeaway. College football is way more fun than the NFL. Anyone's <laughs> crazy if they think otherwise. This doesn't happen in the NFL. No one cares. The Notre Dame job is open. That's the one Urban Meyer has wanted for as long as he can remember. Uh, <laughs> Lane Kiffin would be absolutely hilarious in Notre Dame. They'll never hire him but it would be amazing. Um, I love this sport. 
and I can't wait to see what happens next. Oh, and here's here's my galaxy brain hot take. If Florida State had hired, this is really a question, though, by the way. If Florida State had hired Mike Norvell instead of Willie Taggart, is he getting hired away right now? Ooh, it's an interesting question. We'll get into that one in a little bit because that opens up all sorts of other questions. But let's, let's okay. save that one because that's pretty neat. I'll just jump in with a yes. <laughs> Probably, um, you know, potentially. Year um, three, but, successful. Someone's showing up with twelve million and just dragging him somewhere else at this rate. Go ahead, Juan. Yeah, so let's let's break it down piece by piece in the order that it happened. Um, Billy appeared at Florida State. <laughs> well, he went to Florida State previously. Then he went to Alabama in the space of about three weeks, if I recall correctly. I was really <laughs> pleased when we got him as tight ends coach, and the, but then we got lucky and ended up with Tim Brewster who, funny enough, was a coach at Florida up until just recently. He may end up staying on that staff, so we'll see. But uh, I think Billy Napier is a pretty good hire. He had two guys that he hired a coordinator in the, in the, in the span of his time at Louisiana Lafayette, uh, Rob Sale and uh, – the name escapes me, but I believe Rob Roberts or something like that. Um, but one is the offensive line coach at the New York Giants, and the other got hired to be defensive coordinator at – I think one of these schools that we're discussing, um, but anyway, top 10 type school. I mean, so he's had his guys go up and do really well. And he never got the opportunity to be a coordinator at Alabama. He never got it at, uh, at Florida state in the three weeks he was here. Um, but no, seriously, he, uh, he was, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, a failure as a, 29 30 year old offensive coordinator at clemson being told to run a pro style offense with the mediocre roster chad morris came in they improved the roster all of a sudden clemson machine go burr and they ended up being really good so <laughs> yeah. um realistically i don't think anything uh can be said negatively about uh napier as an assistant his time at clemson was marred by meddling by Dabo. if you listen to anyone for from years ago back then i mean i'm, I'm talking about like 2012 13 14 15 you talked about billion period of clemson people they didn't have a bad thing to say about him he's a good recruiter you know he was not a great offensive coordinator but there was also thoughts that dabba meddled so he he's probably a good hire um he's a good recruiter we know that he has made good coordinator hires in the few spaces of the years that he had time at, at uh at at louisiana lafayette and that's what we know. And you know who that sounds a lot like? Mike Norvell. I mean, if you talk about what Mike Norvell did in his four years of Memphis, he hired good coordinators, he recruited well, and he built the program up better than it was before. You go through those three items I just listed, good coordinators, good recruiting, built the program up better than it was before. It's exactly what Mike Norvell and, and Billy Napier have done. So I don't think you can come away with a positive thought about um, Mike Norvell, if you have a negative thought about Billy Napier, frankly. I mean, he's a guy who I've followed because I thought he was going to be a good coach. I never expected him to end up at Florida. Um, just, you know, that's how it goes sometimes, I suppose. Even, you know, that's why you don't meet your heroes, I guess, sort of thing. But, yeah, so I think, you know, I think they're they're pretty good. I want to move into the other two hires. Um, yeah, on the, on the Napier front, before we get there, I, I just, you know, I'm coming from Baton Rouge, and I feel like I have a pretty decent experience from Billy Na with Billy Napier. Um, I, I covered UL once or twice, so not frequently. Um, but the people around Louisiana really liked him. Um, yeah. 
he was he's a very popular guy with the high schools coaches around there all the ones that I still have contacts with were all over Twitter this week talking about I don't know why LSU didn't go for this guy I don't know why they didn't consider him and if you want the short answer for that it's because Quite, quite frankly, LSU will never acknowledge ULL as a legitimate program for whatever. I don't care if Nick Saban was coaching at ULL. We were not going to go hire UL's coach to come be the LSU coach. It's just, quite frankly, not it. Um, I mean, but he just went 11-1 and one, uh, at UL for – it's a second straight one-loss season uh, at that school, which is, I mean – Tough. That's impressive for, for, you know, we always talk about how the, one of the big perks of LSU is you have the state of Louisiana with its fertile talent pockets all across the state that put guys in the NFL almost as good as any state in the country. And he went, went in the UL and made them 11 and they went seven and seven, 11 and three, 10 and one, 11 and one. And this year the one is at Texas. I mean, Texas sucks. But as far as I'm concerned, if the UL loss at Texas isn't the worst thing in the world, I will to put some things on on this. They have a lot of win, one one score wins, three points over Nichols at home, eight points at Georgia Southern, two points at Southern Alabama, one point at Arkansas State, four against Georgia State, five against a really bad ULM team. I'm not saying he's not a good coach, but there are some. I felt like Sunday when Napier was announced, Florida anointed themselves the the Phoenix rising from the ashes. Here we come again. I just, you know, we, we've done this with Jim McElwain. We've done this with, shit, we did with Dan Mullen. I mean, can we just for a second take a deep breath, let him actually hire coordinators and figure out what he's doing before we just anoint Florida's back? We hired a coach. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, and obviously, you're coming from from a, a spurned LSU man here, um, but uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, like he, I'm not. Cer- I'm certainly not saying that he is going to be a success. Um, you know, there's been sure. a lot of praise though about his coordinators. The 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 main three that have been discussed are Rob Sale. Um, his current defense coordinator is Patrick Tony, who uh, Bill Connolly, who has the SP Plus system raves about and the previous defense coordinator ron roberts is baylor's defense coordinator under iranda so i mean that's a pretty strong strong piece there but like you said we got to see who he actually hires when he's got a budget and when he's got he's got to recruit people to him you know that's the other thing i mean you know florida obviously is a big program you know so is lsu so is florida state but florida state doesn't bring in a dave aranda five years ago it doesn't bring in uh you know let's say uh, uh, Joe Brady five years or three years ago. I mean, just, you know, you, you think of the hottest assistants out there. It's tough for, for, for even the best of programs to bring in the top, top, top assistants. So it's, it's certainly not a matter of money in most cases, but I mean, you, it, it is, I mean, it's money and fit. I mean, can he make it be a good fit? Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard this, uh, Brian, but you know, I've heard he's a little rough around the edges. Um, but that hasn't seemed to have stopped things so far. Yeah. I mean, I, everything that I've heard about him has been just glowingly positive and I don't know. And maybe the rougher on the edges part, I wouldn't get cause it's mostly coming from high school coaches in Louisiana. Maybe they're, they're, they're cut from the same cloth type thing where they're like, what do you yeah, mean rough around say, the edges? This is how you, this is how a man lives. Yeah. Swamp creature to swamp creature. It's fine. But right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. it may be a little bit different when you're talking to a, a, a 
a, a big time booster or whatever. But right. uh, I, I mean, we don't need to dwell too long on that particular hire. I think it's, I think it's solid. We don't know. Yeah. Um, let me put it this way. I would have probably rather seen Florida hire Brian Kelly than hire Billy Napier. Um, and it's because there's, there's upside. I mean, you know, you know what Brian Kelly is after 10 years in Notre Dame. Um, and so that's, that's the thing. I mean, USC hired upside in Lincoln Riley. They hired a guy who has 12 win seasons and I think two of four seasons at Oklahoma. Um, he has been in the college football playoff, I believe twice in that time frame as well. He has been, I mean, successful beyond any measure for four years in a head coaching span in college football. I mean, I can't think of somebody who's been a four-year head coach and has 45 wins. Uh, I mean, at the highest level, uh, I mean, I, I really can't. I mean, I'm trying to think of any off the top of my head. I don't think it exists. Um, it's just Lincoln Rally, as far as I understand. Because, um, you know, you, you most of these guys who come up, you know, even Jimbo Fisher, he started off, I think, 10 wins, 8 wins, 11 wins, 14 wins, or 13 or 14 wins. It's not even 40. There's very few who go 40 in four years. Because most of them have either been head coach before – or they're going to be, you know, coming from coordinator jobs to too big of a job to get that many wins. <coughs> How do we yeah. feel about Ed Ogeron having 40 in his first four years at LSU? <laughs> yeah, but we're talking uh, about humans. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, but he's <laughs> also, he, he was also head coach at Ole Miss and floundered. There. Yeah, and, and interim at USC. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to take it, I mean, you know, I, I think the Lincoln move makes sense. I, from what I could understand, he doesn't really care for the SEC. As I mentioned earlier, he had he, he apparently wasn't a fan of OU's decision to go to the SEC. Um, and I think the money and all that makes sense. Um, my, I, I'm really interested in what, John, what you think about just as, as a coach. I mean, I, I have my thoughts on the USC job as it is. I don't I, – they've been through more coaches in the last 10 years than, than any – than almost any team in the country as they can't seem to find one who can win. Um, but I, I think Lincoln is a, is a good coach. And I was thrilled when it seemed as though he was going to be LSU's guy. I mean, I'm a big Lincoln Riley fan just because I think he's one of the more innovative coaches in America today. Um, he's designing new stuff that other coaches, even across all of college, college football and the NFL are stealing or copying, I should say from him. Um <laughs> So I think he's fantastic. I, I, again, there's some systemic questions I, you know, I've brought up before about how like the West coast and getting offensive and defensive line talent. Uh, but I do agree with some other people kind of pointing out some things out that, that USC might be an exception because they're such a good job. I agree with one. They're easily a top three job in college football. Uh, they just haven't had the right guy ever since Pete Carroll left um, to keep yeah. them up there. Uh, Pete Carroll might be, might be uh, looking for a job soon. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, Maybe he'll take the Notre job. I'm just kidding. But so, well, and look, I want to talk to for just a second how interesting I think it is that these two guys, Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly, made opposite decisions here, right? Lincoln Riley saw the landscape of the SEC and says, you know, I don't want that. I, it's a meat grinder. I don't, I don't want to go there. I want to go to USC, better, better path to playoff and all that kind of stuff. Whereas Brian Kelly, I feel like, made the opposite decision and decided – he wanted to go there. I'm not sure. I feel like Notre Dame is an easier path 
maybe I, as an independent, I don't know, but I don't know. It's just, it's kind of interesting to me that uh, like, what was it? Roger Sherman, I think it was on Twitter kind of pointed out that you went four and eight, I think it was at Notre Dame and they kept you at four and eight at Florida or any other team in the SEC will get you fired. So it's kind of an interesting move by Kelly. I don't know if it's because he wants more challenge in his life. I don't, I don't know, but uh, it's more zeros in his bank account. Yeah. That's where I'm going right now. hundred million dollars, each of them. That's what's been discussed. Um, They said Lincoln Riley. I mean, Brian discussed, you know, the numbers. It was like 110 million or something like that. 110 million was what the report was. Yeah. Yeah, if, they if hundred million dollars for 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 uh, Purple Man Brian Kelly. Um, it, it'll be it'll be when it's officially announced. It will be north. I, I think he's going to be making north of twelve thirteen. I think that's going to be a ten year, hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty type deal. Because Dennis LSU Dodd, was talking Dennis about Dodd, they were talking about twelve mil or thirteen mil a year already. Well, Dennis Dodd said fifteen million per year range. Um, and That's another guy from Fortuna said over over ten million a year with incentives, so fifteen is certainly possible. Um, but you know, it, it's it sounds like there's something in that ten to fifteen range. But long story short, yes, you can go four and eight at Notre Dame and not get fired. But I think the differences here are Lincoln Riley is at a place where he was, you know, revered successful probably had more longevity but i mean usc if you look at usc and what they have in front of them at this point look at the pac-12 right now i mean it is they're talking about lincoln riley not just being the salvation for usc but being the pack uh, the, the salvation for the entire conference i mean that says everything about that conference i mean the only other team who's even close to breaking into the college football playoffs on a regular basis is oregon and that's it I mean, what, they have Utah who scratches into the bottom half of the top 25 every few weeks. Um, but, I mean. Washington it, had that one year where they lost to Alabama in the playoff. Oh, yeah, I forgot they existed. Um, yeah, yeah, they that was a coach this year. But, I mean, if you look at that division, and this is something that, you know, we're going to we're gonna need to get into the Miami part of this equation shortly because, realistically, they're the other big rival, and realistically, they're going to be looking for a coach before too long anyway. But if you look at Oregon – Oregon's division is Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, Washington, Stanford. Currently without coaches, or at least at some point in the last two weeks without coaches, because this thing just doesn't stop, uh, where Washington State, Washington, and Stanford. Cal's coach just went four and seven. The Oregon State guy went seven and five this year, so he's going to stick around. So of the five opponents that Mario Cristobal has in the division against Oregon, Three are gone, one is maybe gone, and the other is his mediocre in-state rival who they crush the heck out of every single year in a rivalry called Civil War that might as well be called Civil laugh- Laughing. I don't know, a bad, not a, not a good joke, nothing really good there. But long story <laughs> short, that guy's got his division locked down. You look at USC, Lincoln Riley goes there. He's got Utah, Arizona State, UCLA, Colorado, and Arizona. Arizona went one and eight in the conference. Utah is perennial uh, ankle biters. Arizona State is Herm Edwards, who somehow kept his job. UCLA is Chip Kelly, who will never actually recruit out there on the trail. So he's always going to be a pain in your butt, but he's never going to be, you know, your real challenger. 
Colorado and Arizona. I mean, what is what's where's the competition? I mean, he left for longevity. Whereas in the other sense, I, I, I look at it as a dichotomy. Brian Kelly, he's almost looking for a retirement check at this point. I mean, he took a gig that was clearly a pretty good gig in Notre Dame and went to somewhere where he is going to be guaranteed a whole hell of a lot of money and not a lot of stability, but a whole hell of a lot of money. He may last three, four, five years and get paid, let's say, you know, just round numbers, three, four, five years, get paid $50 million. If he sticks around in Notre Dame, it may take him six, seven, eight years. And guess what? He's going to get a job after each of those if he wants one, and he'll get paid about the same amount. So I don't know. One of them is looking for for longevity. One of them is looking for a paycheck. That's the way I'm I'm sort of seeing it in the short-sighted nature at this point. Right. Well, I think Lincoln Riley still got both. Um, so hats off to that guy for getting both the bag and a great job. Um, I don't know. I mean – I think it's easier to build a better team at LSU than it would be at Notre Dame because of Notre Dame's academic requirements. But the SEC competition is much tougher than, than some of what you play in the ACC or independent. So uh, I'm How not arguing factor in here. What's that? How do the pods and SEC and, and Oklahoma and Texas factor in here? Cause look, Florida right now, they play at LSU every year. It's a tough job. I mean, Georgia, they play, I believe, Auburn as their cross-division rival every year. Tough job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got those are the two tough jobs, obviously, in the East. But, you know, they're measured by the fact that the rest of the East is garbage. Right now, if you're Texas A&M, whew, you got to be feeling good. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma are coming in, but they're coming in right where you are, sort of in the middle of that pack. Instead of being number four in your division of seven, you might be number two or number three in your pod so you're you're in the pecking order you're looking a little bit better whereas lincoln riley left he was at the clear number one number two in the conference he's he was going to be going to maybe number seven in the conference maybe number two or three in each pod no matter what to clear number one in the conference not not number one or two number one i mean shoot it's just to me it's a no-brainer well, I think it might end up being a retirement check for Brian Kelly because he, he might get fired, even though I think he's a fantastic coach. He's I mean, you take Notre Dame to the playoff multiple times. I mean, even though you, you get smashed, it's still a tremendous accomplishment, in my opinion. But I don't know. I mean, I, I know he's going to put together good teams at LSU. I just – I don't know. I don't know. I'm ready to come unglued. I've got it. Uh, LSU's won two natties, been to a third – with two of the dumbest coaches in America. I've loved Left Smiles for what he was worth, but for 10 years, the man refused to run anything that didn't look like it came out of Bo Schembechler's <laughs> silent film room. Like, we were running two, three tight ends with a fullback against spread offenses that beat us to hell constantly. I, and still, every year it was constant nine, 10 win seasons. We fired him, tried to hire Tom Herman, got played by whoever Tom Herman's agent is. Good for him and wherever he's at collecting Texas's money. We then turned around and hired Ed Ogeron, which we have talked about every week on this show. Juan calls him a swamp monster. I think he's just a shrimp boat captain who got lucky one day and landed at the LSU job. He's a totally incompetent head coach. He had he he inherited Dave Aranda 
who is clearly a great football coach. He was one of the best defensive coordinators in the country and just it's reportedly going to lock up a bag for himself at Baylor. A bag is a whole bunch of money for those. Maybe I've been using that a lot, but in case you don't know, but he had him and Joe Brady, who, whatever, if you're a Panthers fan, maybe you don't think he's the greatest thing in the world. But if you look at that LSU offense, maybe that was all it took. Because when you look at it, you've got three guys at receiver who are starting on NFL Sundays, Joe Burrow, who starts on NFL Sundays, two running backs who start on NFL Sundays. I, I mean, between that, I, I don't think it was anything that couldn't have been done by any coach in America. And when you, when I hear about how, you know, all oh, the SEC West is so hard, the SEC is so hard and Brian Kelly had it so easy at Notre Dame. I mean, I do get three rental wins a season and I really don't see when I look at Notre Dame's schedule versus what LSU schedule looks like on a yearly basis. I don't really see a team on there that screams much different than when you line up against Arkansas or when you line up against Ole Miss or Mississippi State, and quite frankly, little brother Texas a and I mean, they're giving Jimbo a billion dollars a year, and they just finished fifth in the West. I mean, I, I think LSU is poised as, and only because of Nick Saban's existence, as the second best program in the West, and probably one of the top five to ten in the country. And I don't see how a competent coach who comes into Baton Rouge, they're already keeping their ace recruiters. That's a Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated reported. He's the most tapped in LSU person that exists. Fact. They're not going anywhere. They're not – say what you want about their recruiting. He now loses the academic standards. We'll take kids who can't even spell college on the, on the roster. <laughs> this is going to be a very good coaching hire for a team that, to me, can absolutely win on its own because we just had two idiots do it for 15 years. All right. I'm going to push you off of your scissor lift here. Um, The thing is you are correct, but you're sort of mistaking what I think John and I were saying. It's we're not saying he's retiring. We're not saying he's no, I'm not saying that either or anything like that. We're just saying it's, it's a guarantee. I mean, look, even if he doesn't have success, he's going to make some money. And oh, absolutely. It, it, even idiots, like you said, will make money and have success at LSU. I mean, yeah. and a lot of it is to do with the the infrastructure and everything that Nick Saban put into place. But yeah, absolutely. no, I agree with you. I think that he's going to have not only the, you know, inside infrastructure that LSU has that's going to propel him to success. I mean, he's a great coach. He's going to hire great coaches. I mean, Marcus Freeman is the hottest defense coordinator in America, besides maybe Jim Knowles, who was – an unknown three years ago when he was at Duke, which is sort of weird, but same um, with Marcus Freeman, right? Yeah. Well, Marcus Freeman was, <laughs> was, was at Cincinnati as like a first year defensive coordinator instead of like a 10th year defensive coordinator, like Jim Knowles was. But anyway, um, yeah, I think he'll, he'll do an excellent job. I mean, Brian Kelly, if there's any coach in the country, I would trust to hire coaches outside of Nick Saban because Nick Saban is not human. It would probably be Brian Kelly. I mean, he has been shockingly consistent over the last 10 years. I mean, yeah. He's, you can you can go down the list and you've had tons of different guys who've had success under him who've gone on to be solid head coaches or at least solid coordinators elsewhere. Um, I mean, the list is you know endless. You can go back year by year on Wikipedia, which is basically how I do this, and he's going to be very good. So yes, your beloved crimson <laughs> or crimson, sorry, uh, uh, purple and gold scissor lifts will have a new shade of purple. 
and they will probably be a perennial contender in whatever pod division conference thing it is that they end up doing once Texas and Oklahoma yep. up there. It's just he, you know, it was pretty obvious to me that he had the same thing going every year, like John said, success at Notre Dame, yeah. at one of the premier programs in the country, going to the playoffs. What's the difference? You're getting a much bigger paycheck. That's that's yeah. you know, no, there's no no offense meant to LSU there. It's just you're getting a big big paycheck. I mean, no, and I and I didn't take it as a defense. I, I think my reaction was also to a lot of what I've seen from LSU fans who are saying, "Oh, that's not what we." He's an older guy, and I was like, "Man, well, look at what we hired. What's his fit with LSU? He's not a culture guy." Well, Ed O'Gron was a culture guy, and look at the program he was running. It was a complete disaster, and and. Yeah, I'm sure many people are thinking, oh, well, Title IX stuff and the, the cover-ups. Well, if you, if you that want is a problem, that, period. If, but if you want the real, that hire the rest of the Duck Dynasty staff, that's pretty much it. Exactly. What Brian Kelly will bring in is professionalism at a university who very desperately needs it. I understand the, the as you've mentioned, scissor lift and, and, and the like. Um I, I, it's a it's a professionally run organization that LSU desperately needs after the last two just organizational abysmal CEOs, if you will. Well, I'm just looking forward to seeing Brian Kelly uh, execute his kids at LSU, um, and so well, right. he'll get to execute them in the Superdome Labor Day weekend against Florida State. What a fun time! Uh, I do. Uh, and were you about to go to Miami? Because I was about to. Yes, that's exactly where I was going. Yes. Um, so, so, so I'll take it, uh, if you don't mind. I, 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 to me, I, I just mind. think, yeah, go ahead then. Oh, I'm going. <laughs> All right. So Mario Cristobal, I talked about it a little bit earlier. Mario Cristobal yes. is the big name target that they've been talking about for, for Miami Absolutely. basically since he ever got a head coaching job. Um, even since he was the FIU coach back in, I think it was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess this off the top of my head. 2008 to 2012 when he had a feud with the then um then athletic director whose name was i forget his last name uh but then 2007 to 2012 almost that was great though uh but and then butch davis came in behind him and just got fired um i think he may be smarter to take the fiu job that's open currently than the miami job which is not yet open but anyway um you know, let's say all things fall into place. Mario Cristobal decides to go to Miami. That would be an excellent hire. Um, yeah. That being said, look at what's happened in the last 48, 72 hours. Who is Miami going to get? I mean, even if, even if let's say they had a $10 million check for a coach, they had, you know, the check they needed for assistance. I mean, I don't think it's realistic that they get anybody good. And that's, that's not not to say that they can't, but it's just there's not a lot of there. There's so few good college football coaches. I mean, if you mm-hmm. if you had a list this week that you could have picked to start a college football program from, it probably would have included Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, um, and from there Nick it would have gone. Yeah, well, that's where I'm going. I mean, guys who are completely unavailable. Nick Saban, yeah. uh, Jimbo Fisher right now. I mean, he's he. who are the other active head coaches with national championships? Mac Brown, Dabo, 
That's the list. That's it. You're talking six guys, six guys who are active with national championships and then Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley. Um, so you don't have a very long list. And beyond that, it starts dropping off pretty quick. I mean, Billy Napier, I think, is a, is a smart hire for Florida. I mean, that's the sort of aspirational hire that you need to take in a place like, like a Miami. Um, but that being said, and I, I know I'm going to catch crap for this because I already have a bunch of my friends and a bunch of the Tomahawk Nation guys, but it only takes one head coach to drag you out of the Stone Age and into, into the new era. Um, LSU is a good example. Uh, LSU was not a consistently successful program before 2003. Um, they were not Brian. Let me go. Um, they were they were you know a solid program. They had some good eras. You know, quite a while before that. But I mean, there was a run in the late 70s and early 80s when Florida State was in their nascent years under Bobby Bowden. When Florida State went to Death Valley five years in a row and won four of those games as a terrible Florida State program at that time as they were expected to be. But then they became who they were. And in 1980, were a national championship caliber program. So, you know, that's what you have there. That's, you know, Bobby Bowden obviously took Florida State out of the Stone Age. But in the modern era, Nick Saban took LSU out of the Stone Age. Absolutely. Knocked Florida State. Florida State was taken out of the Stone Age by Jimbo Fisher. You didn't have a real athletic director. When Bobby Bowden got fired, Randy Spedman was your athletic director. He did not even attend the press conference. He sent Christian Ponder, and if I remember correctly, it was Everett Dawkins, maybe, who had to go and speak to the media. He sent two players, two kids, guys who ended up playing two more years under Jimbo Fisher to address the media after firing Bobby Bowden, one of the most legendary coaches in college football at that time which is insane. I mean, you know, at that time, uh, Nick Saban had as many national titles, if I'm not mistaken, as Bobby Bowden. So he was probably the most successful active coach at the time. And they, <coughs> they fired him, hired Jimbo, without an athletic director, with no football facility, with no indoor practice facility, with old practice fields, with you name it. Everything that you say against Miami – could have been said about Florida State in 2009. Yeah, I, I, I think to me the only reason Manny Diaz hasn't been fired yet is, is they are trying to have someone already set up for if and when that eventually comes together. Uh, John, I'd, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on, on a potential Mario arrival in, in Miami. If, if you think that's a possibility, if you think – Maybe Lane Kiffin fell in love with South Florida at FAU. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm curious because it seems like their options are maybe we convince Mario over the next few weeks. Maybe we convince Lane over the next few weeks or ah, F it. I guess we'll just use Maniana for another year. Um, I guess my thoughts, my thoughts start where you can have, and this is going to sound weird at first, but I, I, I'm making a point. I promise you can have a quarterback in college football who could be elite at one thing, but not everything. And when you get to the NFL, you have to be elite at everything. And to Juan's point, there's only so many coaches in college who are elite at pretty much everything. Those, those top elite guys, Miami's not going to get a, a top elite guy. They're just not. Um, Mario Cristobal, I think would be a, a Disney princess for, for them. I, I it's, 
I it's agree. hard to see until it actually happens. Um, I think that they would have to kiss uh, the ground and thank their lucky stars if he chose, chooses to come there. My, my thing about Miami is two things. Um, one, the game has changed with recruiting. Uh, it used to be that Miami could keep all those recruits in South Florida. That's not the case anymore. Uh, one, uh, recruiting is just a different game these days. But also, a lot of these kids don't want to sit for three years and then play for Miami, right? They're going to go play for Louisville immediately, right? Or any other program that they can go and get on the field. So that's a systemic issue or institutional issue that Miami has to overcome, but it's not impossible. The other issue and the bigger one, in my opinion, is that Miami has not, as an institution, cared for football. They have not cared to have a good football program, and so they haven't invested in it. And a lot of former players and Miami fans all say, oh, no, they're going to do it this year. They really mean it, blah, 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 but it never happens. That's not to say it can't happen to one's point. So if Miami makes that commitment for real, you know, they hire Mario Cristobal, they give him boatloads of money to transform that program and bring it into the modern age. Absolutely. They could, but it's like, we've talked about many, many, many times. Miami's going on 20 years now where that hasn't been the case. I've seen them decline. I saw them decline whenever they hired Larry Coker and they never come back up for air. So it's a thing where I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I mean, they, they, <laughs> my, nobody talks a good game better than Miami and nobody doesn't follow through better than Miami. So. I, I, I mean, I largely agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying there's a lot of people who dismiss it out of hand. And I think Florida state's a good example that you simply can't, I mean, you know, Florida state doesn't necessarily uh, have the G- Florida State has its own geographical limitations of recruiting. You know, I mean, sure, we're five hours from some major population centers, but at the same time, we're two hours from any major population center. Miami is in the middle of one major one and three hours or three, four hours from three more. So, yes, Florida State or Miami has its challenges in terms of recruiting areas and that sort of thing. But so does Florida State. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to really – I just think you can't completely discount the idea of Miami being brought out of the stone age and you're not doing so obviously, but there's a right. lot of folks who think, Oh, they're just done with, they'll never be good again. Right. When it really, you know, I mean, it really doesn't take that much money in the grand scheme of things to do it. And, you know, it's probably a pipe dream to think, Oh, they made money at, at the, the health program. They're going to spend it all in the university's football program. No, but if the if the uh, if some of the key boosters and some of the key trustees, and we know some of the trustees, Jorge Mas in particular, are involved in sports, if they see that the image of Miami is tied to their their image in the sporting world, it may be necessary to make those investments, and those investments are pretty small. I mean, you're talking about Jorge Mas, who is on the board of the Miami trustees, who was part of a billion dollar offer for the Miami Marlins. You know, yeah. you're, 10 million a year is nothing for a guy like that. I mean, he owns a, you know, multi-billion dollar corporation. You're, they have, they have people who, if they make the commitment, would be able to put enough money up to have success. I'm not saying they will, 
I don't think they will because I don't think they're going to – because I, don't, I think it's very difficult to get a guy who can do that. I mean, Florida State was lucky with Jimbo Fisher. I mean, make mm-hmm. no mistake. I mean, it was a good choice. It was also a lucky choice. I mean, yeah. if the Alabama Board of Trustees had not decided they would rather kill the Alabama-Birmingham football program than let Jimbo Fisher uh, uh, be hired in 2006 or 2007 – I don't know where Florida, Florida State is today. They may not be relevant enough for us to have a podcast, you know, for, for Florida State. So it's just don't ignore the possibility, and that's all I'm saying. And all it really takes is one guy who's willing to do it. And quite frankly, if you're the president of, of Miami, and I, and I believe Dr. Franks is his name, and you're not a football guy, but here we are at the end of the season for the last month and maybe two, three months, you've been hearing these important boosters and people around town just constantly chirping. The football program sucks. Give us Manny or give it to Manny. Give us Mario. I mean, you can, you can just throw the checkbook at it and make that problem go away for at least. However, if he doesn't really understand football that well, he can just say, just hire the damn guy. Is it 10 million? Fine. End it. If that's what he needs. Take it. I don't, I don't, again, I don't think it's a hundred percent going to be a thing. I don't think even if it happens, he automatically builds a winning program. But I mean, if you want to make the problem go away, just throw some money at it. Yeah. So here's the thing. If you look at like, the, let's say the upper four or five uh, ACC programs, Louisville, Florida State, Clemson, Virginia Tech, I believe are the biggest four earners. Probably Virginia may be in that now with their NCAA tournament success. So all of them are north of $100 million in revenue um, with, with, with each year. And so at that point, um, you know, you're talking, okay, they all probably pay their coaches, their, their main football coaches, between 2 to $5 million. Their assistant budget is probably between 2 and $6 million. So you step that up from 2 to 5 to 5 to 10 and 2 to 6 from 5 to 10 again, you're adding $10 million to the athletic budget. It's a 10% increase in just the athletic budget. I mean, you're not, if, if that program currently has the athletic department donating 5 million to the university and they stop the donation to the university and they get another five, 10 million a year in donor donor money, there's your money right there. I mean, it, it really doesn't make a lot of dollars at the end of the day for that. So, I mean, it's not hard to go from strong to, very strong in, in the grand scheme of things. And so, um, you know, you've seen Florida state do it. Um, hopefully Miami doesn't do it. I don't think they will, but you know, Florida state, I think, you know, you've seen what they can do in the span of five years, go from the 2009 debacle of Randy Spetman and, and Christian Ponder having to, to, to discuss the, the exit of, of Bobby Bowden to a national championship with Jimbo Fisher, James Winston and, and, and Kelvin Benjamin and, and, you know, we're, we've seen two years of strong progress under Mike Norvell. And I think we'll see that continue. Yeah. And, and like you said, I, it, I still think the most likely scenario is it ends up being where Manny has to stay, but hopefully by next week, we, we end up having an idea. I mean, Cristobal has a game this weekend, you know, and that they're playing for a Pac-12 title. So I, I, I we could have another scenario where next Sunday or Monday we're, we're watching the world, catch fire but uh until then i know we ran long today lots of coaching carousel chaos over the last 72 hours plus the game itself uh, we are going to come back next week i think we're shooting for late next week 
um, just to let more things settle. But um, we'll have that podcast. We're going to look season overall, look ahead to 2022, maybe talk some early recruiting, just kind of get a feel for what we thought beginning, uh, go a little more in depth beginning of the year into next year um, from this Florida State program. And maybe we'll have some more news on the recruiting trail um, from Norvell and the guys by then. Uh, but until then, it's uh, Brian, John, and Juan. Thanks, guys. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.